Your podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watch Stargate and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing better to do. So listen, here's our show. Hello and welcome to Probing the Wormhole. I'm going to be your host today, Rose, and I'm here with Sam, a super fan. Malika, a fan. Yay, we're getting there, we're getting there. Today we will be discussing Tin Man, episode 18 of season one of SG-1. So in this episode, we start off, as usual, on an alien planet. Looks kind of like an industrial-type setting. Um, SG-1 enters through the gate, and they get zapped by something and collapse. They then wake up on these, you know, coffin-shaped tables. (laughs) Not creepy at all. In different clothes with their gear gone. And come try a guy enters. (laughs) Come try a! Come try a! very friendly man and he likes captain carter says she's very special because she's a female she's like or no what did she what does she say colonel he says colonel (laughs) and we find out that come try a man is named harlan and he is the last survivor and he takes them to go find their weapons so so does that mean that this world didn't have women because he seemed especially interested in carter I can't imagine that's true. Yeah, I can't either. Maybe he's just never seen a woman or seen her at naked because who dressed these? these <laughs> that's um, a good point. Because presumably they are anatomically, at least externally, the same. Maybe. Oh, maybe he took away their parts, which would explain <laughs> certain things. Wouldn't they on. notice that early on? Would you? I don't know. <laughs> you think? I would maybe imagine. If- yeah, maybe a man would check because men usually yeah. do check. I think if you all of a sudden don't have a dick hanging out, you wouldn't notice that right away. But, but here, but they don't need those parts. Exactly. Yeah. So but they're decorative. They're functional in some right. regards. Right. Decorative for some. You don't yeah. need the internal parts of them, but the external serves some function. I think Harlan did leave them because so. later on we see uh, Tilk in the, the tube and he does have nipples. Maybe he left the nipples, but I bet he took away the, the lower down parts. Cause I have I a think, theory. I don't, I don't think so. I think he, cause maybe they want to have sex. But they don't. Would <laughs> There's they a distinct lack of sex between, or uh, you know, attraction between um, some people in this group later on. Okay, so your theory is they are eunuchs now. That's my theory. Yeah. <laughs> they are robotic eunuchs. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're still in the warehouse. They're walking. They're learning more about where they are. We learned that they can't survive on the surface because of radiation and that he has been alone there for approximately 11,000 years. That's quite some time. So that's way. Okay. So here's a question. He's been alone there for 11,000 years. That means this civilization is extremely old. Because if that means the, the human, 
are we are these people human what is he was he created by humans maybe that's also the answer to the female question is they're not human he looks human and i think they would have been created in the image of the, the biological inhabitants is he a clone slash robot like them yes I think yeah. he he's probably a clone robot of somebody who really did live and mm -hmm. looked like that and he looks human mm -hmm. but why would there but if if they were destroyed if he's been alone for eleven thousand years and i mean it's probably been a robot for what 15,000 years at least and then the whole biological civilization was destroyed before that so that's probably like what hundreds of thousands of years where did they come from humans the gould have not been on earth that long yep good question that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense so wherever these weird humans that apparently evolved in parallel to humans on earth on this random planet come from we now learn that they are better than before and Jack asks better how, and Harlan can't answer. So they decide, hey, we're out of here, and they leave. And Harlan says, oh, dear. So then we do get to the SGC in the infirmary. Everyone feels fantastic. They are being evaluated by Dr. Frazier, and it turns out they're not so much human. They have no heartbeat. O'Neill has some white liquid that comes out, and Teal realizes his symbiote is gone. So how could they not realize they were not human until this point, right? This is at least a couple hours, right? Yeah. Don't you, I, don't you feel your heartbeat? No. Do you feel your heartbeat right now? I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> My cold, dead heart. Um, no, but if you think about it, you don't think about breathing. You don't, you don't notice your breath unless you're, I don't know, meditating or some such nonsense. But you don't, you don't, your bodily functions are not at the top of your mind all the time, right? I would think they had to, would have to be breathing though. First of all, you can't talk without breathing and other people would notice if you're not breathing. I would think Teal'c would recognize something because if you think of like a pregnant woman, I think she would notice that her baby is suddenly not there anymore. Right, it moves. Yeah. Well, he, so he does later say that he could still feel its presence. So maybe that was it, that he... Sort of had a general sense it was still there and just didn't actually check but later on we find out that he's actually there was a problem with him so he actually because of, he had two beings in him him and the symbiote and harlan later says that there was a problem synthesizing his consciousness into the new body because he did have two beings in him so Tilk's behavior up until later on when we see what he does to O'Neill indicates that that might have actually been the symbiote. He doesn't really talk very much. So we might not, that not that's not necessarily even Tilk. That's true. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I had a question. Do we think that Dr. Fraser overreacted or was she justified in saying, you know, stay away from me and hitting the, the red button? I think she was justified. Absolutely. She was, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like who, who knows what the teams come back with? And here she has robots in front of her. I would have freaked out too. Yeah, I would have been. <laughs> the fact that she doesn't run screaming from the room, I think is a testament to her professionalism. But yeah, because you never, because also they bring all kinds of weird shit happens. And they don't know if these are like imposters that were sent for nefarious purposes 
if it's like something they're going to replace all of humanity with robots, I think a little caution is justified. They could have been bombs. I mean, they could have been anything, right? So yeah, I automatically, um, I would have freaked out too. I also have a question. So after the Kowalski incident, didn't they start instituting like MRIs for everyone once they come back through the gate? Did they? Did they? So they obviously haven't done that yet because to them. Well, it wouldn't it have just broken the MRI machine? Because you know how you're not allowed to have any metal. Yeah. So they like slide them in and it would just explode. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> it just explode. Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, they haven't implemented that as. <laughs> I mean, it seems like the, when you know that there are these beings that can take control of human hosts, your first line of defense is making sure that every single person that comes through that gate is not one of those. And they seem a little lax about that. <laughs> it's kind of like, it reminds me of like the reason why we have to take our shoes off at the airport. It's like one tiny little incident happened. And now, now we're going to put this, this ridiculous procedure in for everybody for years and years. So it's kind of like, like the, the base, like something crazy has to happen and then we'll put something in place. Yeah, exactly. So what do they do if you have a metal plate in your head or on your hip or something? Can you not go into the MRI then? I think they have different MRIs for you. Like they have, um, like my dad has a pacemaker and there's a special machine. They send him to the hospital that has a special machine. Okay. Because so I imagine O'Neill probably has some kind of metal in him somewhere since he's yeah. been hurt so many times. There's like nine broken bones. Yeah. And his busted knee probably has pins in his knee or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they don't realize they're robots. They now realize they're robots. Understandably, everybody else at the SGC is like, what the fuck? And puts them in a holding cell. Um, But Jack tries to prove that he's him, talks about all the things he knows about Hammond. So at this point, what what do we think is going on? Because SG-1 seems to draw the conclusion that their consciousnesses were transplanted from their organic bodies to these mechanical bodies. Yeah, I... I'm trying to remember what I was thinking when I first saw this episode a long time ago. And I think I, I, I was questioning why SG-1 was so sure that their consciousness had been transferred and why couldn't they just be doubles of the original bodies? They, they, they're very sure that they are who they you know, purport to be. Well, it raises, an, like if you, if you suddenly woke up in somebody else's body or in a body that looked like yours, but after examination realized it wasn't, you would feel still yourself right you'd still be like I'm still me I don't know what's going on with my body but I still feel like me I get I don't know that it would occur to you that there was another you walking around I think Carter should have you know at some point realized that could be a possibility because she's more scientific than the others you know and in the next scene when they're in the holding cell or in the holding room you know, Sam says, oh, I feel like myself. I, I feel like th- this is a this would be a hugely disorienting event, right? To feel like yourself mentally and then but be in a body that is not yours. And they don't seem to be all that bothered by it. They're bothered by the way they're being treated, but they don't seem to be as upset as I think one would be. Well, O'Neill seems to be a little upset though. I mean, Carter and Daniel are like, wow, yeah. Huh. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> And then Tilk's just, mm. yeah. Tilk's well, he's a hippie. 
right, yeah, right. he's having his whatever's going on. <laughs> he's having whatever thoughts symbiotes have, like. <laughs> so then Hammond comes in, says he wants to send a team to the planet to investigate. It was is it Jack that says don't? Yeah, yeah, says don't. Um, Sam says that they their consciousness has been transferred. And, that they, and they draw the conclusion that Harlan must also be an artificial life form. That they, as they're collapsing, they get sort of thrown through the gate and immediately they're better. I liked how they didn't just like, like when we see the gate on the other side, they literally threw them. <laughs> Not like soft, like pushing or something. Like they didn't want them anymore. Just like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Get them out. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's realistic. Like they seem to go very, once they start collapsing. So, okay. You have your team that you now know are robot imposters. They suddenly start collapsing. And did they say we have to go back through the gate or was that just the deduction? I think they did. I, I think Carter says we have to go back. I don't know that Hammond would have agreed to that. Even though, even though they're collapsing, first of all, you, these are not your people. You now know these are not your people, unless you believe that it's their transferred consciousness. And if you let them die, you'll lose them forever. But they now know about the facility. If they were sent here as imposters to gather information, they have, and you're now sending them back. It seems like way too great a security risk. Hammond wanted to send uh, SG-5. You can't send another team because they'll come back as robots also. Right. right. I think you just don't send them back and let them die. But but what if there are bombs in these bodies though? Because what's her name? That that Cassandra girl. She started yeah. to sort of you know feel right. poorly as well. Yeah, but sending her through the gate would have exploded it. And and there, I mean, she wasn't a robot. She was a human girl. Um, but it just seems like you don't know what they're doing. Like it's, it's, it, I understand Janet's like, or Janet Frazier's like, it's too great a risk to have them stay. But I also think it's too great a risk to just send them back. Right. I guess, I guess it's a risk either way. I think you found a plot hole. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, you know, if the risk is keep them there, we don't know what they may be bombs, they may be informants, they may be whatever. At this point, they've only, they've caught them pretty early on. So they don't have any information that they wouldn't already, that they, they don't have any information that's sensitive above what they already had come in with. So maybe they're like, okay, I think it's too great a risk to keep them there. Let's send them back maybe. And if SG-1 is still alive, maybe that will help keep them alive. So I, I can see it being a calculated risk, but it seems a little bit like, I don't know that they would do that. So they get thrown through the, through the wormhole, come back to that planet and Harlan welcomes them back. And they realize that it's a power issue that they were draining power and that's why they collapsed and they asked to have him transfer their consciousnesses back into their bodies and he says that their bodies are gone and that he can't so he's lying to them at this point right he's half lying to them he's right that they can't be transferred back they go back to the coffin bedroom where they i guess they're supposed to just rest on these like coffin platforms it's like a uh wireless charging well, <laughs> maybe this is where they got the idea for wireless charging there you go. um and then they start seeing that the place is like kind of falling apart and that's why he needed them so that they could help him maintain it so o'neill is like upset through the whole thing so far like <laughs> he's just angry he's just an angry dude 
uh, so far that in this episode and Daniel is like I don't want to live for 11,000 years Carter is kind of thinking about this scientifically uh Tilk is acting weird but it's like this all feels very surface and one-dimensional right the writers didn't seem to really give the characters a deep understanding it feels like there was a missed opportunity for real depth of emotion in regards to how they felt about their situation like everybody had a one note reaction you know I didn't really like that yeah I agree I think it was very I mean, I just, this didn't feel like how people would react in this situation at all. I, I agree. It was very surface, very one-dimensional. All the characters are almost like caricature-ish of themselves. I mean, Teal'c, whatever, he's having issues with his symbiote consciousness. I think we can excuse that, but Daniel's doing his lofty <clears throat> philosoph philosophizing while also trying to die thing. Sam's doing her science -y thing and Jack's doing his curmudgeonly sarcasm thing. And I think the, the situation calls for more depth than that. Right. Because, I mean, this situation is really severe, right? You're still alive, but you're not in your body. Right. And you're faced with the prospect of never, ever now being in your body again and living forever right. in this weird place, which I found extremely creepy. I would not want to live in that dark, dank warehouse with one annoying guy for the rest of like eternity. So that's pretty bad. And like, yeah, they, they, none of them seem to be freaking out about it. I think a freak out is warranted. Yeah. Yeah. And then we also find, um, so Tilk leaves, Sam and Daniel go to look for him. And then we find him convulsing. So then we have um, the scene with Harlan and Jack talking and Jack confronts him about what happened to their bodies. Sam and Daniel come in and ask about Tilk and Harlan keeps saying Tilk is different. He's different. Like, let's leave him alone. And then we find out what what is going on, on this planet that this was a project to save their society um, by allowing people to live when their I guess their organic bodies couldn't have lived. So th did this explanation make sense? No, not at all. I still don't understand what what is the purpose of this place and and how is this a substitute for life for the plant for the people on this planet I, di I didn't get that and and what are all these pipes and <laughs> levers supposed to do I just didn't get it yeah I didn't get it either yeah there was some I mean it was, there was remember they were talking about coolant leak and all this stuff so there's some kind of nuclear reactor that's powering this place this place for one robot like this huge <laughs> warehouse for this robot it, it, it seemed strange that you would want to continue this kind of life or not even a life, right? Because you're just a robot. You're just going through the motions. But I do want to mention that Harlan is fixing the pipes with what looks like peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> and if you watch, um, when he asks, and so he put, he does, he paints the pipe, the broken pipe with peanut butter, and then he sticks a patch on and then asks Daniel to hold the patch. 
supposedly this peanut butter is supposed to hold the patch in place. But every time the camera goes over to the, the pipe, Daniel's kind of moving a little bit and the, pat, the patch is moving. <laughs> so I, was, I had to watch the scene twice because I was really focused on the peanut butter patch. But, and then I had to watch it again for the actual, what happened to all the other people who died. And if you're a robot, why can't you live in radiation? Yeah, it doesn't, there's so much doesn't make sense. First of all, right, like to Sam's point, like how are you, how are you saving your society if they still die? You're not actually saving them. You're just duplicating them in a robot form. So to them, they're like, this is fabulous. Thanks, I'm still dying. Fuck you. That's one. Um, why would you do that? Is it just to preserve the sort of societal knowledge so that their, their civilization doesn't die out? And this is kind of like a way to preserve it. Uh, if so, not really successful because there's only one guy. But um, I want to I want to go back to Harlan fix the the scene where Harlan's fixing the pipe with the peanut butter. He <laughs> goes he goes through what happened to the other inhabitants. He talks about uh, some of them had small power sources and then they went through the gate, but none of them ever came back. Some of them killed themselves, and then Wallace, who was the last uh, robot. I guess, alive, he went up to the planet's surface and never came back. So it says to me that even the robot people don't want to live in this basement <laughs> warehouse nuclear reactor. Like Harlan's the only person. Maybe it's Harlan's personality, but nobody wants to be there. So why would you create? I mean, I understand him wanting to create friends and workers to be with him. But you are you are putting these consciousness, this these four consciousness whatevers, into a situation where everybody else has tried to kill themselves. Yeah, and it doesn't. And like, okay, so let's say your society is dying. You're going to try to preserve your civilization, even if it means everyone's dying and you only get to live on as robots. Okay, still not exactly a solution, but fine. Obviously, being robots were so undesirable that most of them either killed themselves or left. So nobody was really on board with this project except him and Wallace. And if you're if that's your plan to live for thousands of years underground to preserve the civilization, wouldn't you make it more hospitable? Wouldn't you make it like a place you want to live in with like bedrooms instead of like coffin platforms? Right? Like even though you're a robot and you might not need a bed, your human consciousness might want one. <laughs> Right. So it just, it just doesn't, yeah. And why, and then if, if you're the only one left, why not like let it go and just live in a smaller part of it that like, or leave, like it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Why not invent a battery that you could take with you and then go to the Stargate, which other people did. And they never came back. Cause maybe they found something better. Maybe they decided, fuck this. I'd rather die than go back to that dark warehouse forever. And also, what's the point? What's the point of maintaining the civilization if you're not spreading it, if you're not make, like, like you're just living endlessly. And we learned that they are really stuck on that planet because they can't live for more than a few hours without access to the power source that exists on that planet. And they have this crisis where they have to fix the vent of something or they're all going to die. And I thought that this was interesting. I mean, this is, the, this is our team even though they are in robot bodies, this is our team. They just completely abandoned Tilk. 
he's somewhere in this warehouse. They mention, uh, where is he? And Harlan's like, he's different. Uh, help me. And they're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Come try a. <laughs> so are these true copies of SG-1 then? If they don't have the same camaraderie that the original ones had? Well, they feel like blunted. If Harlan had said that he removed something or blunted their emotions or something like that, that would make sense, right? But he he never goes into that. Supposedly, this is 100% them with no no changes. Well, they are, they are better, right? And they can figure math out really fast. And he said the answers are in their mind. So he did embed them with some knowledge that they didn't have before. And they're stronger. They're stronger. They're stronger. But he didn't say anything about making them more compliant. Or less emotional. Or less emotional. Less three-dimensional. So, so at this point, Jack and Teal'c end up, um, Jack's fixing event and Teal'c finds him and is obviously like out of his mind and attacks him and puts his face in front of the vent, which makes a hole in his face. And Teal'c is vaporized. So at this point, I don't, you know, I saw this episode a long time ago. At this point, we, we realize that this is not the end, right? Teal'c's not dying in this episode. Malika, did you think this was the end of Teal'c? No, no, I didn't. Because I've seen the posters and I know he wears a really hot uh, black undershirt and his muscles are all out. So I know he's still alive. But um, I mean, even Harlan, when he vaporized him, he didn't say that he vapor, like he was dead. Remember, he was like, he was malfunctioning. He made it sound like maybe he put him, he transported him someplace else that he wasn't actually dead. But O'Neill and the team don't know this. And they don't know that they that Harlan can make another body. They don't know that that their actual bodies, which we'll find out in a second, um, are still there. So technically, when he vaporizes him, if Harlan hadn't said that, they would have realized that Tilk is gone forever. Yeah, they don't, they do seem, and they do say like you kill Tilk and he's like, oh, I'm gonna make a new one. They're like, how he's dead. I thought their reactions were a little bit blunted, like you said, at losing. A member of their team right in front of them but then we do go see they do find harlan in the lab making a new teal and he explains that because he had those two consciousnesses in him he malfunctioned but now he knows how to fix it and he's going to make him fine and at this point they begin to suspect that their original bodies are still around because you can't make another copy without the original although i don't know why you could have like 3d printed it saved the saved it saved the pattern somewhere and made a new one and then they go into the other room and then there they find sg1 the real sg1 lying on more coffin tables um with their mouths covered are they paralyzed because it seems like once they took off that mouth covering they just popped up like so there must be something holding them there because otherwise they wouldn't just be laying down there and were they not awake up until this point and then woke up no, they were or, awake. Remember, as soon as yeah. they walk in and they look down, they're looking around. So have they just been paralyzed and strapped to these coffin tables for days? Maybe it's paralyzing duct tape or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> I agree. Because they duct don't- Duct tape can do a lot. That's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, ask MacGyver. No, um, they didn't, they, they didn't unbuckle them or anything. So they, that 
<laughs> that little thing of duct tape did sedate and paralyze them. <laughs> but didn't Harlan say something about how they would not remember any of that? His plan was to send them back uh, after he had made the copies and that they had fully, in, and the robots and their conscious had fully integrated. He was going to send them back through the gate and they wouldn't remember. Yeah. So the tape, the tape also wipes your memory. Too. Yes. God. It's magic duct tape. And this is when they come to the realization that they are not in fact copies or no, they're not in fact transferred consciousness, but actually copies of the original. Therefore they can never go back to their original bodies because they're not their original bodies. They are robots. I like the interaction. I mean, the CGI in that room was bad, but I liked how Sam really liked herself. And, <laughs> and we're having like a great conversation about, you know, working through the, the theories that were underlying Harlan's whole existence. I like that. But again, like you now are confronted with the realization that you are a robot forever. I think this would be a traumatic thing. I think this would like warrant very intense emotional responses and they don't seem to have them. Not just, not just that you're a robot, but now you are stuck here. You are, I don't want to use the word slave, but I will. But you are now captive, right? Your consciousness is captive in this place forever. Unless you go up to the surface or you kill yourself, you are there forever. And just running around fixing the power source. That is your life for the next million years like how depressing is that well and they have you know they have connections on earth right so like as according to them like o'neill still has you know has his ex-wife sam has her family you know we don't know that much about our family but she has some family um teal has his son off on chulak like they are never they're all they have friends at the sgc they have hammond they have janet they're never going to see those people again. Like they are now cut off completely from all their attachments on earth. Like that's a, that's a real loss. And Daniel, I hate to bring this up, but Daniel has one year to get back to Sheree, right? He's never going to see Sheree again. He's never going to see her again. This is not, it's the other Daniel that's good. Like that, I feel like coming to terms with that loss would be really, really difficult that you are now cut off. Even if, even knowing that those people are going to be fine because they have their other they're, you know, organic people to be there for them. Like, like if I suddenly was told I'm not Rose, I'm robot Rose and regular Rose is going to stay here and live with my husband and kids. And I get to go live on some barren wasteland planet. I'd be pretty sad. But it supports your theory, Malika, that Harlan blunted their emotions because, because we don't get this from, from any of them. And you, you expect some, some amount of sadness from them that they would never see their families again. And Sheree, yes. remember Sheree? How can we forget Sheree? I, I was like, why isn't Daniel like- Screaming about Sheree. But it's like this, this episode could have been so terrific because this is like some kind of existential crisis, right? Losing everything, being forced to stay on this planet that you don't want to be on, but still being who you are it could have been written so amazingly and it wasn't 
Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, we'll talk about how we rate this episode, but this is not one of my favorites and for a lot of reasons, but yeah, it just, they don't seem to be reacting the way people would react. And, and, and so then it takes it away. Like if that's the thing I blunted your emotion and reactions, or I took away your PTSD response, then are they really them? Right. Or are they just sort of emotionless robots? Um, which kind of takes away the, the moral questions that one might have. So, and it didn't, it just didn't make sense in a lot of ways. Um, and also the SG one side, like they, uh, this isn't their first time they're realizing that they are, they have been cloned. They have their full range of emotional responses. I think confront being confronted with this reality would be intense for them. And they just, again, fall into their usual, like O'Neill and his robot, like that whole conversation with O'Neill and his robot, I think was supposed to be deep, but I found it so awkward and so strained. And like Sam and her counterpart, like they're just sciencing out, but like, I don't know, they, 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 there should have been a lot more there. Yeah, they, they tried to push it with O'Neill and, and the robot, but it just, it didn't really work. Like they tried to insert that emotion that you guys were talking about in that conversation, it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Were you going to say something about burying the gate? That also seems to be their like go-to solution. I'll just bury your gate. Like you're burying a lot of gates and you're trusting people to bury their gate. And why do they have to bury their gate? Well, because they know all their secrets, right? They know the secret. The team knows the secrets of the base. That's what O'Neill said. He's like, bury your gate or we're going to have to kill all of you. I just, I don't know that they would trust them to do that. Even if O'Neill oh. did, I don't think SG want, the, uh, yeah, SGC would or the U.S. government would. I would think that one of them, one of the real McCoys would feel an invasion of privacy, wouldn't you? That they've made copies of each other? Yeah, that's a real violation. Yeah, I think they would be mad at Harlan that's not for non-consensually reproducing them that now presents a security risk for earth mm-hmm. that now creates these four people who can no longer have any contact with everything they know. I mean, the implications of this are much deeper than the show allowed us to consider. And so then we sort of end in the gate room with the two, the, the robot SG-1 saying goodbye to the, right, the real SG-1 and Jack says that people are not supposed to live forever, which may be a little bit of a foreshadowing. And SG-1 leaves the end. <laughs> so I, I do have a couple of questions. One is, I, I think the one thing the show did okay with was sort of the reveal. I, I don't think I saw it coming that these were robot copies until they did the reveal. So they did a good job of hiding that. Yeah, I think that's why I felt so bad for them when Dr. Fraser. <laughs> called them or said don't come near me and push the big red button so I was saying don't say that to them it's just (laughs) one yeah and so the implication is when they came through the first episode and they get or the first scene and they get zapped with the blue stuff that's real SG-1 Mm -hmm. we don't see real SG-1 again until the like almost the last scene so it's really an episode for the robots I like their little outfits bit <laughs> so what do we think so i have to say i i find of all the sci-fi tropes out there i find like cloning and like duplicate people to be like one of my least favorites i get very uncomfortable with it uh, i think it just raises a whole lot of questions of like who who one really is and like is there a soul and what makes a person unique and it, it 
I just don't like it. It like freaks me out when I see it. So that's one reason I just don't like this episode. But what do we think happens to these people? I'm going to ask Malika because she hasn't seen the rest of the series. You mean what happens to the robots? The robots. Well, okay. So if we go on what Harlan says about you have to have, and Sam figures out, you have to have the original to make the copies. That means that we have, Harlan has made four copies and that's all he can do. He's done. There's no board, nobody else. And then if they bury the gate, nobody else is coming through to make more copies. So here's Harlan with his four people. I can see Daniel going to the surface. I can see O'Neill going to the surface. To die? Yeah. Or to explore. Actually, I can see everybody going to the surface. Like I would go stir crazy. I would not want to be in that warehouse for however millions of years as a robot. Um, and there's no, other than Harlan saying there's radiation and you can't live up there. How do you know that? And I can definitely, I can see Daniel going up. Like as soon as they bury the gate, he's upstairs. He's up on the planet. Uh, Cause it, number one, he has a death wish, but number two, he wants to explore and who knows what's up there, right? There could be a whole civilization. Wallace could be having a party up there. <laughs> I would want, I, I wouldn't want to live in a warehouse. I'd rather die from radiation on the surface. And who wants to live with Harlan? I know he's so annoying. He's so happy. <laughs> if I have to, and he won't even tell us what contria means, right? So obviously. Like Aloha, is that what O'Neill said? Aloha. But it's just like, I, I would be like, I'm out. I'm out. Give me some of that peanut butter. I'm going up to the surface. <laughs> does, does SG-1 have the right to tell them that they have to bury their gate? Because I would try, I would just not bury the gate and go exploring. You don't invent some kind of battery for myself and just go. Well, they don't. So yeah, this whole thing also, I'm like, okay. So SG-1 has a little fondness for them because they're them, right? So I can say like, okay, we don't want to kill them. As soon as they go back to the SGC and say, okay, they're copies of us. They have all of our knowledge and we're just going to leave them on that planet. The U.S. government's going to be like, fuck no, get me a nuke, right? Which is maybe why they told them to bury the gate because they're like, you know, a nuke is coming. So you better bury a gate because you know what's going to happen. And, it, and then they can't connect and they don't have any way to get it there. So I guess that's what is going on. And maybe the robot O'Neill knows, yeah, they're definitely going to send a bomb through. So I would think they would at least check to make sure they bear their gate by trying to dial it a few times. But you also have to know that the robots know them. And so they probably are thinking, okay, we'll bury our gate. They're going to try us a few times in a year. We'll unbury it or unbury it, rebury it, whatever. Or disconnect it. Like Carter's got to, I know, at some point figure out, just, just pull the plug. Yeah, right? exactly. And is being a robot better? That seems to be Harlan's whole thing is you're yourselves, but better. I'm going to go with no. I don't want to be a robot. Yeah, I don't want to be a robot. Okay. You said you had some thoughts about why they are not, don't have parts. So you thought that Sam and Jack should have been all, I think that they become robot lovers after this. Might as well. Why not? They're just knocking flat. <laughs> I think they have <laughs> external parts that work. Like data. Data. Oh, yeah. He is oh, yeah. fully, functional fully functional in multiple <laughs> techniques of pleasuring, he says, so. There's nothing wrong with sex robots. Well, there's an episode of Black Mirror that where there's a sex robot 
and he like he just watch when she goes to work he just watches all the porn because he starts off as like a little baby kind of goo and then it becomes a, a man like in the bathtub over a couple of days. And then he has to teach himself everything. And so he just watches porn all day while she's at work. And he, she comes home and he's like this sexual dynamo, like better than who he's replacing. Yeah, I think they're just Barbie and Ken slapping against each other's <laughs> hearts. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and I was thinking that they're, but first of all, when it, wouldn't you notice if you usually have a dick and then you suddenly don't have a dick? You wouldn't take hours to notice that. You should ask Carlos and you should ask <laughs> Jeff because here's the thing. Like, I don't notice things about my body. Like, I, I don't think about my molars, right? Unless they hurt or I'm brushing them. So it feels like I don't, if you didn't have to pee and you didn't have any sensation down there, would you even think about your penis? Yeah. So maybe it's like phantom limb syndrome. Right. So you don't, you don't feel it, but you think it's there. I'm just saying. I'm right. Just- no, I, I think you, they can maybe get away with not having opened their pants and looked down, but I think you would notice if it wasn't like flopping around the way it usually is, but maybe, yeah, maybe they have phantom dick syndrome and they didn't notice all three and- of them. I think in the military they make you wear like tidy whities yeah so it wouldn't flop yeah it wouldn't be a boxer situation of i don't know i think they're anatomically correct and they're having robot sex now that they don't have the, the rules the fraternization rules prohibiting it they're getting they're getting it on well, and they're stuck there for like thousands of yeah, years what the fuck else are you gonna do i just want... well let's revisit this in a distant <laughs> episode no, but then we may or may not learn more about the robots later on. But this particular question is not answered. So we can speculate. But then why does Data have a penis? He, he pleasured Tashiar. He definitely fucked her. So he, we know he is fully functional in that way. But, but think of the, the doctor who made him. Dr. Sung? Yeah. He's quite egotistical. I imagine he also likes the girls too, or the boys. I don't know what his sexual preference was. But he probably wanted his son, who looks just like him, to have a dick. Whereas, what's the Harlan? Imagine Harlan thinking, what are these parts? I'm just going to remove these parts. But I would think he would make them the way they are. Well, first of all, okay, so they, Harlan was made in the image of the original organic Harlan, right? And the project was to replicate humans. I think the humans turning into robots would have wanted all their parts. Well, I think... Unless that's why they killed themselves. The fact that we see Tilk's nipple, that is not a part that you need. A robot ne- wouldn't necessarily have a nipple. I mean, what, what's the point? What is the point of having it? Uh, what is the point of a man having nipple? What is the point of a robot man having a nipple? And data is, going back to your data conversation, data, and I other than your conversation and me seeing him like whatever, never seen an episode, Data is a, an advanced robot, right? Each iteration of robot gets better and better until you have like a perfect sex robot at the end. Well, also like Sam has boobs and she doesn't need those as a robot. Right. Because you can see them, you know, in, the, in her shirt. Cylons can have sex and they do have sex. But the first Cylons couldn't. Right. 
right? So, so advanced robots have sex. Well, oh, maybe Harlan made the nipples into buttons, <laughs> but the penis, you don't really need that. It could be like a crank. Yeah. I think it's more like I- hydraulics. No, no. If you used it as a penis, yes, hydraulics. But if you needed it as like a button, something functional to turn something off or on, it would be a crank. You just like pull it up and like and put it back down and he would walk. I think we need the the writers on this show to answer this very, very present question for us. I mean, they didn't have like an advisor in regards to robot sex. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't have an advisor, period. That was all, that was all Amanda. (laughs) Yeah, Amanda didn't do the research on robot sex. (laughs) Like, no, I draw the line here. (laughs) You're on your own. So how many chevrons do you give this episode on the scale of one to seven? Sam, why don't you go first? Two chevrons. I, I have to admit, I fell asleep while watching this episode and it might've been because I was jet lagged, but I think it's because all I can remember is uh, Carter and Daniel just wandering around this dark warehouse with these strobe lights going off every now and then and these pipes everywhere. And that, that's pretty much all I can remember of the episode. And then also the ending where O'Neill is trying to talk to his robot version and the writers are trying to insert some kind of emotion in, into this episode. In my opinion, it only deserves two chevrons. I give it three, three comtrias. Like I said, I give it three because of the premise. I thought the premise was excellent. I thought that the idea where this episode could go could have made this absolutely amazing. And it wasn't. And I blame the writers 100% for that. But I did, I really like the premise. So I will give it three chevrons. What about you, Rose? I'm going to give it two. This may be the first and only time you've ever given more chevrons than me and Sam. Um, I'm going to give it two. I, it's not bad enough for a one or a zero, um, but it's really one of my least favorite episodes. I don't like clones. I don't like... duplication so I'm already starting it's already starting at disadvantage because of the the subject matter and I don't think they did it well um I I I agree it could have been really the premise could have been really good but um it wasn't executed well I don't like the optics of it it was I thought the whole episode was like dark and depressing and just not enjoyable to to watch so that's going to be a two for me and if this episode was made today how might it be different anybody Well, I think it would have been better written. That's the whole point, right? Like give this a writer from the matrix or something because the the premise is there. It just needs to be hashed out. It needs to be written. Like uh, I like the idea of an existential crisis. I like the idea of non-consent to your future, freedom to be who you are. All of that is so important. And I think that that would, would make this an, an excellent episode. Yeah, I agree. I think today it would be, I think it would be dark. The, I think the visuals of it would have been different and they would have dealt more with the, like the deeper questions. I also think we would have had more conflict between the clones and the 
organic SG-1. You know, like they may, may have been like more conflict about who gets to go back and who who has who's entitled to the, to their lives, basically. Um, and more processing about the grief about not being able to go back to their lives. So that would be different today. What about you, Sam? They, they, they would have made the, the clones distinct people, you know, d- distinct characters, not as Malika said, blunted versions of SG-1. And you would have had the, the, the contrast between the original and the clone. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Probing the Wormhole. Next week, we will be discussing There But For the Grace of God, episode 19 of SG-1 season one. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Come try ya. Come try ya. Come try a being a robot. <laughs> like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. If you don't like us, still like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Probing the Wormhole, on Twitter at Probing Wormhole, Facebook at Probing the Wormhole. You can also contact us on our website at probingthewormhole.com. Thank you.